0: Well, brothers and sisters, um, when we look at a Christian, when we think about a Christian person, it is someone who is not known for his holiness, who, his goodness and perfection first of all, but he's specifically known by the magnitude of the grace that he received. Isn't that right? This is what we glory and this is what we're proud of not in the way who we are now and how we've been changed and how our life is kind of transformed here or there, significantly or insignificantly. But we glory in the glo- we glory in the grace that we have received and its magnitude. And we are called also to respond to this grace, and we're called to respond in different ways. According to the gospel, if we understand the grace that it's encapsulated in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we also are called to respond according to the gospel in different ways. For example, according to the grace that we have received, we are to reflect the love of the Father who loved us in the loving relationships among ourselves and to other people. Just as we have shown, or shown mercy and love, we are to love others. Just like we have been forgiven much, We are to turn around and forgive others. That's a a response to the grace that has been given to us. Just like we have heard the good news of the gospel, we are to turn around and we are to proclaim. We are to report what the Lord has done in our lives. We are to respond to the grace of the gospel, and we are to proclaim and evangelize. If you remember, just like we receive the kindness of the Lord, and the sacrifice for us, we are to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our personal spiritual service of worship, from Romans 12.1. We're called to walk in purity as a response to the gospel that we have received. But another way I want to speak to you about is that how we will learn how we are to respond to the grace that we have received in prayer. Our passage today, if you could make your way to 2 Samuel chapter 7, will show how David responded to the grace that was given to him. If you remember, we covered it last time, that David wished to do something great for the Lord. He wanted to build him a house of cedar. He wanted to build a temple. And he received an answer, no. He wanted to build a temple, but the Lord says, well, first of all, David, I don't need I don't have this need for a house. Second, who said that you were going to be building me a house? Then he says, what you're experiencing, David, I want you to know that it's not because of your doing or not because of you have achieved something and now you're sitting on a throne being, uh, and having absolute peace around you, enjoying this kingdom and this reigning. It is because of my grace for you. It is absolutely free. It is because of my grace. It's because I love you. And it's because I decided to love your forefathers. So instead, he received this unimaginable gift from the Lord in the form of an unconditional promise. And I want us to read that, just a little portion from 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want us to read from verses 9 to 17 first, just as a way of reminder of what the Lord has shown. Again, verse 9 divides into half as God speaks of his prior dealings with David and he turns to the future. Read with me 2 Samuel 7, 9. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now in the future, and I will make your great, you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plan them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I command the judges to be over my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom, the kingdom of your seed specifically. He, he, your seed, shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of man, but my, my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. This is just as a way of reminder for us to set the context. But we can see that God being faithful to his promises of sending the seed back to Adam and Eve. He referred to that. Then he said to Abraham, you will have that seed, and the blessing will be through that seed. And now he includes David in that lineage. David will now be the father of the seed. In addition, the seed will be royal. Before it was, who knows who he's going to be. But now he's going to be the king, and there will be no End to his reign. David now will be the father of the seed. In addition, um, he will have the eternal son who will be the son of God, who will reign forever. Now David was greatly affected by this message. We're going to see that in his prayers. we're going to read, continue reading. And he, today we have an opportunity to tap into his heart, to understand what was his emotion, what was his thinking, what was his attitude to this grace that he received, what were his thoughts and his words that he spoke back to the Lord, having received such magnitude of grace. I want to take you to the main point. What we're going to learn today is that the grace of God, if accepted in faith, leads to an intimate and God-exalting prayer. Let let me repeat that. The grace of God, if accepted in faith, leads to an intimate and God-exalting prayer. Perhaps you are struggling with your prayer life. Perhaps your prayer is a little dull, a little boring, you can say. Not as intimate as you'd like it to be. I want you to know that your prayer life, the intimacy of it. The God-exalting prayer begins specifically with grace and with you focusing upon the grace of God. David's prayer may be of great model for you, for your prayer, when you wish just to sit down before the Lord, as David did, and express to Him your dependence, your thanks, your praise, and your needs. Now, let's continue with David's prayer and see what is it how is it that David responded to this grace? Read for me with me from verse 18 down to the end of the chapter. Then David the king went in, probably went into the tabernacle, and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David do to say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, for the sake of your word. And according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land. Before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people, Israel, as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. That you your name may be magnified forever. By saying, the Lord of hosts is God of our Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you, for you O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing may the house of your servant be blessed forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer, isn't it? Well, we're going to take a look at this prayer, and I came up with four main marks of a prayer that's being impacted by grace. But before I continue with these four marks, I want to give you a little bit of a preamble. There's something crucial, and you may have noticed it in my main point, the thesis statement, that is the grace of God, if he's accepted by faith. When we look at David's prayer, we see that David has accepted this promise with great faith. I want to remind you of a story of the ten lepers that were cleansed by Jesus Christ. If you remember, Jesus was traveling from Uh, Galilee to Judea he was on the way to Jerusalem and he was walking through Samaria and he came on into a village and there were 10 lepers they were standing from the distance and they were yelling Jesus master have mercy on us and when he saw them he said go and show yourself to the priests and as they were going they realized that they were all cleansed and remember what happened to one One man, realizing that he got cleansed, he ran back to Jesus. He came to him, and it says that he was glorifying God with a loud voice and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, weren't there 10 lepers? Where are the rest nine? Only one foreigner who came and glorified God he returned to give glory to God and he said to him stand up and go your faith has made you well now we immediately understand that all were made well all were cleansed from physical ailment but only one had a transformation of his soul he was able to receive the grace that was given to him by God through Jesus Christ his son and he received the grace With faith. And I think it's extremely important for us to understand. We all are graced. In fact, we can say the entire world is graced. Everyone is experiencing the grace of God to a certain degree. Common grace works in believers and unbelievers. We have been graced infinitely better. But it is the faith through which we receive that is able to produce a response in prayer like David's. If there is no faith, there will be no such response. And that's why I said, in order for us to respond in prayer, it has to be accepted, this grace, by faith. Now, let us take a look at these four marks of this prayer. And the first one I want to point out to you is the sense of humility. David's sense of humility. David responding back to the Lord. Just bleeds humility. David the king went in and sat before the Lord and began his praying with saying these words, Who am I, O Lord, that you did this to me? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What a great ground level to begin with, isn't that? It's this is where truly we can begin. Having been reminded by the Lord in verse 8 and verse 9. Where God says, David, you are here because I showed you mercy and kindness. It is out of my heart that I brought you. You have not contributed to this grace that I have shown you this far. This must have triggered in David this thought that he is not worthy. There's nothing remarkable with him. There's no worth. There's no weight, no glory in and of himself. He has not done anything special to earn the way to this current position. His family was not remarkable either. He understands that he was brought from behind the sheep and has been made a king, a shepherd of God's chosen nation. That is all by grace. You know, the only thing remarkable, special about David was and his whole family, that he just happened to be in the line of grace of God just like God promised to Adam and Eve that they're going to have a seed that overcome the devil, just like Abraham, this line continued to Abraham who was promised, you're going to have a seed through whom there will be blessing to all the nations. This line continues and it happens to be through Boaz, through Jesse, David now, and he happens to be in this line of grace where God says, because I have made that promise, because I have chosen your forefathers to be in it, I'm blessing you because of that. That is it, pure grace. And David understands that. This line, he understood that it's going to go on all the way to the eternal King, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, who am I, Lord, to be blessed to a such degree? Probably David remembered the words of you remember the name Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, grandson of Saul. If you remember that at some point in our book it's written a couple chapters later, but chronologically has happened years before most likely. And Jonathan uh, and David says, "I want to see if there's any descendants of Saul so I could just come and bless them." What a gracious man, right, David? He just says, I just want to see, for the name of my friend Jonathan, for the sake. And he had respect for Saul as someone who's appointed and anointed by God. So they, he asks around, and they said, that, yes, there is a man, a young man. His name is Mephibosheth. This man has been crippled since he was a child. He was dropped, so he, uh, he was crippled in both his feet. He probably couldn't walk. And they said, call him up. And this man, Mephibosheth, comes. Probably very scared, because he understands that he's from descent of Saul, probably the worst enemy of David, and he comes and he says, here is your servant. And David says, do not be afraid, Mephibosheth, do not be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. And again, Mephibosheth prostrated himself and asked, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? And you can understand, right? Who is Mephibosheth? Does he have any worth of himself? He can't even walk. He just happens to be related to someone that David loved. And he's receiving this amazing blessing. He says, not going to kill you. In fact, I'm gonna. you're going to sit at my table, and you're going to enjoy from time to time a meal with me as part of the family. And in fact, I'm going to give you all the lands of your grandfather Saul, who was the king, probably with a lot of land. I'm just going to give it to you. And Mephibosheth, you can imagine, he's just prostrating himself, saying, what? Who am I? I'm just a dead dog. And I think David likely remembered this. And he probably could relate to Mephibosheth as he's coming to this uh, tabernacle, as he meditates on what the Lord has done for him, and he is just creeping in, prostrating, at least in his heart. He sat down, but he's prostrating and says, Lord, who am I that you did this to me? Just like Mephibosheth said, your servant i'm your servant david in the same way david says lord i am the lord's servant he calls himself servant of the lord he doesn't even say the word i in this prayer if you've noticed it david calls god yahweh adonai meaning god which means lord or master the sovereign one he recognizes that There's absolute acknowledgement of being under complete authority and power of the Lord. There's a sense of complete and voluntary submission to God. Absolute, absolute humility before God. When we jump a thousand years into the New Testament, we have examples like this. We have examples who were able to see God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and they marveled at Him. If you remember John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a man with great ministry, right? He was a man who preached and baptized, and it says the whole Judea, Jerusalem, and the whole Judea and the regions were coming out to hear him and be baptized by him. Pretty successful ministry, right? But then he would say, after me, one, who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Think about it. Who unties the sandals? When you come home, and you, if you have a servant, your servant would come and would untie your sandals. He says, I am not even worthy to be this servant of Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy. This is how great, magnificent, and he's going to give you, grace you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Another example of centurion, Remember? He comes to Jesus and says, my servant is ill. And he understands. He's got 100 soldiers under him. He's got servants that he tells them what to do. And Jesus says, sure, I will come and I will heal your servant. And what does he say to him? The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. And remember, Jesus marveled at his faith. And I believe that, that marveling was not just because he understood that this Jesus, the centurion believed that Jesus can remotely heal through distance, through miles, and just say a word and heal. him. I believe that Jesus understood his faith also as it was reflected in his humility before God. He says mainly, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. That is one who is receiving the grace with humility. Brothers and sisters, how often do we get too acquainted and familiarized with the grace that we have in Jesus Christ? Sometimes we talk, we act, and pray as if in some way we've earned where we are. Deep inside, we begin to feel the sense of entitlement We may look back and whatever has God allowed for us to prosper have this slight, subtle thought. Well, I've done pretty well. I've made good decisions. I worked hard. I worked hard. I prayed. I've done this. I've done that. And that's why the Lord is blessing me, right? It's not out loud. We don't share it. We don't even meditate like this. But there is a slight thought like this. May we come to a true nature of God's grace to us, to understand it, to recognize ourselves as unworthy of any good gift from our Father, Father of lights. We receive grace for free, and we cannot stress that. We have to actively remind ourselves day in and day out, I am where I am because God brought me here. And we have to express that in our prayer we're to respond in our prayer with that baseline of absolute humility. And God loves that. God loves that. He is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, as James says, in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So that will be our first mark of a prayer of David that we can learn from and say, Lord, when I come to you, Help me to understand the grace and humble me to that level. We will continue looking at the prayer, and we can see that the second mark of prayer, it is the words of thanks. Take a look at what David speaks. He says this in verse 18 and 19. You have brought me this far, and yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord. For you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of made, O Lord God. David acknowledged the gift of the Lord. He sees that if God would have just kept him where he's at as this successful king, king of Israel, who has conquered much land around, who has brought peace to the nation, he brought them this mighty city of Jerusalem, and would just die, and he would leave a very good legacy, wouldn't he? But he recognizes the magnitude of this grace. He understands the eternality of this grant and its effect upon him, upon his family, upon his nation, even upon entire humanity. Take a look at verse 19. You have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future, and this is the custom of man. O Lord God. It literally says it is the law of man or the Torah of man. He refers to this grant as something that will benefit the entire humanity, mankind as a whole. Your words are like the law for the human being. And we have clear evidence from this psalm. We have uh, clarity and evidence from the psalms. We have evidence from the interpretation of the psalms in the New Testament, like Acts chapter 2 as preached by Peter, that David had a very good or at least better understanding that we might think about the Messiah that he's going to come. He knew that this descendant, he's going to be eternal. Remember in Psalm 16 where he says, You will not let your Holy One undergo decay. And he knew in Acts 2 it says that. He will be a blessing to the nation as well as to the surrounding nations through the seed. He understood that. David knew the word of God. He read his Bible, and he sought for the seed of Abraham to come true, just like every believer at the time was. And he understood that the seed would come through his line. David accepts the promise, and being overwhelmed by it, being just blown away by it, he just praises and thanks God for that. It is Evident that he's just speechless, you can say that. He says, Lord, what can, I, what can I say? What else can I add? You've done this amazing, great thing. In that moment, in just a little bit, we'll recognize that this Thanksgiving will turn into praise. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference. But you can see as he gives thanks, he identifies and speaks to god specifically for what he has done and he does not feel shy about repeating it look at verse 19 he keeps referring to this grant to this promise that he has given verse 19 you have spoken of my house concerning the distant future verse 21 for the sake of your word and according to your own heart you have done all this greatness to let your servant know verse twenty seven for you O Lord of hosts the God of Israel have made a revelation to your servant saying I will build you a house verse 28 you have promised this good thing to your servant he's just thinking he's constantly repeating to the Lord saying you have done this you did this to me you are I'm so thankful to you for that David was a man of war right that's what God called him and Being a man of war involves many battles, dangers, worry for self, worry for others. And yet, he was a psalmist who composed many psalms that express his thanks to God. For example, I'll just quote David for you. In Psalm 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts, and with my song I shall thank Him. Psalm 109 With my mouth, I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. And in the midst of many, I will praise Him. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. In the company of the upright and in the assembly. Brothers and sisters, the Lord reminds you and me to thank God. To thank God. He's good to us. He's gracious to us. And we are to thank, thank Him always. Allow me to quote from Ephesians chapter 5 from the New Testament. Paul writes, and don't get drunk with wine. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, then giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He asks us. He wants us to thank Him. He wants us to identify specific things, specific ways in which God has blessed us and give Him thanks. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your request be known to God. Are you anxious about life situation, about unknown, about this plan that you have, about the problem that you have now? Paul says, bring it up to the Lord, but do it with thanksgiving. It's very difficult when your mind is just fixated on your problem, on your worry to give him thanks for what he has done to you, and he says, do it. Give him thanks. One of the sure ways to recognize God's goodness to us is through reading of Scripture. Will you agree with me? Our prayers could be quite dry. We could be asking God about the same thing day in and day out, routine prayer, and we fail to come with a heart of humility recognizing the goodness to us from God and give Him thanks. Let us look into the Scripture. Let us get back into the Word of God because as soon as you open the Word of God, you can see how good the Lord is to you. As soon as you read it, oh, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, you immediately understand that God is good to you. He's merciful, He's loving, He's kind, He's caring for you. David's prayer now escalates. The gratitude leads to thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is closely related to praise. If thanksgiving comes from a sense of gratitude leading to offering thanks for a specific gift, praise comes from a sense of admiration leading to an expression of exaltation as well as boasting before others. Let me clarify that. As we meditate, as we think about the goodness of God, that He's shown to us and specific acts that He has done for us, we begin to formulate the nature of God and how good He is. We meditate on it and we admire Him. We adore Him. And it leads to an expression, expression of exaltation. We raise Him up, we exalt Him, and we boast to others. It is closely related to thinking. That is our third trait or mark of this prayer of David, words of praise. Look at Psalm 30, how the two are related, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm thirty-five, eighteen: I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. 2 Samuel 22, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. We give thanks when we recognize what God has done for us. We conclude that God has done so because of his unique nature, because of his heart. This is what David said. You did that because of, the, because of the, your heart. In verses 21 to 22, um, we're going to look at David's thoughts of his dealings with him and his nation, leading him to a pure expression of praise. Verse 21, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know, for this reason you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears pointing to God's faithfulness to the word, that he's now fulfilling it in his descendants and his promises of this, his kind nature, that God did that out of his kind nature of God's heart. He says, this is why you did it, and this is why you are great. Pure praise. You are great, and there is no one like you. There's no God in this universe that we can compare you with. Everything that we've read about you, everything that we've heard about you, There's no God like you. You can see that David being the king, he now received, who have received this promise that will affect the entire nation. He praises God on behalf of his people. He looks back behind to look at God's dealings with Israel over the period of 500 years. And he says, he goes to the scripture that is passed down. And he says, Lord, you are great. You are amazing. Why? Because you chose us. Out of all the nation, you chose us. You made us your people, personally your people. You used us as a tool to make your name great, and we're honored. You have done great and terrifying things upon your land, to the foreign nations and their gods, in front of our eyes. The people whom you have redeemed from Egypt, you made us yours, O Lord. Where's David taking this information? He's taking it from Scripture. He's taking it from Scripture. And I'll I'll make a point about that in just a little bit, but I'd like you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. You could make your way there and we'll read together. And as soon as you read these words, you'll say, oh, that's where David is getting this information from chapter 4 deuteronomy this is moses speaking to the nation of israel to the second generation of israelites who are about to come in into the promised land and he says this verse 7 for what great nation is there that has a god so near to it as is the lord yahweh our god whenever we call on him go down to verse 32 Indeed, ask now concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything been done like this great thing? Or has anything been heard like it? Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived? Or has a God tried to go to take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great tears as the Lord, Yahweh, your God, did for you in Egypt before your eyes. That's what David is reflecting on, the word of God. Deuteronomy 7, 6, just a few pages down, Deuteronomy 7, 6. for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He David he is praising God not just based on what he just heard, not just reflecting his years of life and where he was brought in, but he's reflecting upon the truth of God and the promises of God and the greatness of God that was revealed even to his nation hundreds of years before that. And I want to challenge you, my friend. Our praise is not to be based on your last meal that you had. Oh the Lord is so good. Not just that. Not because you just got a new job, not just because you have financially stable position right now not because of the event that has taken place yesterday or the day before or just your whole life, how he formulated We praise God having fullness of the Scripture and understanding of what he has done to the nation of Israel, what he has done to Abraham, what he has done to Adam and Eve, to the people in the New Testament, right? His faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his glory, his power that has been revealed through the entire history of the humanity. And we, understanding that we go back to the scripture, we read it and we say he's worthy of our adoration, of our admiration, and our praise, of our exaltation of his name. I want to remind you, friends, that God has shown us grace because of the kindness of his heart. And he desires to receive praise for us from us. He expected that. Please, one more time, if you could flip your pages to Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5. All the way to the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 5. This will be the last time I will take you to a place before that's not 2 Samuel 7. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 5. I want you to see God's expectation of his kindness. It says, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Why? According to the kind intention of his will. For what purpose? To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He always intended to give us grace, to grant us, to bathe us in His grace. Why? So that to the praise of the glory of His grace. He wants His grace to be praised. He wants us to give Him appropriate glory because of what He has done. We are not to be passive. We're not to eat it and walk away. We are to praise Him. We're to admire Him. We're to thank Him for what He has done. That is His intent. In Hebrews 13, 15, you can make your way back to 2 Samuel 7, but in Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through Him, through Jesus Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that can give thanks to His name. As those who have received complete revelation of God, at least intellectually, we have the greatest clarity of our God. Let us meditate on that. Let us understand. Let us study our Lord. Let us understand His Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, as the Scripture revealed it to us, and let us just adore Him, enjoy Him, and praise Him for that. He wants it. He is expecting that. Our God does. It leads us to the last. the last mark. Of this prayer as a response to the grace that David received. And that is words of petition. I would say it's for me was the most difficult one. Take a look at verse 25. We read this. Now therefore Lord God the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house. Confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. That your name may be magnified forever. So far we've discussed that the grace of God, if received by faith, will produce a heart of humility. The heart of humility, with a sense of gratitude, it will produce thanksgiving. This thanksgiving will be accompanied by praise. Lastly, it moves one to a word of petition in the prayer. And here David says, Lord, confirm it. Confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. And my first question was, why, David? Didn't you just express that, Lord, you are faithful. You are true. You are God. Doesn't all your prayer respond is an act of faith for God that he, what he promised, he will definitely do it. Why is it that he's asking, Lord, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken? I would say this. Um, I believe that David does so just as we often do in our prayers. Primarily for ourselves. First, by our prayer, we express our faith and agreement to God's promises. Don't we? Second, we do so as a way of reminding for ourselves that this is what God has promised. So as I reflect upon that to God, I remind myself. Third, we pray, and we know that God uses prayers of the saints to move and do what we ask. This is the enigma, the mystery of that. God can say so, but then he says that he uses the promises of his saints to accomplish that, right? So I happen to be the player. I happen to be the um, participant in the work of God's grace. Think about Lord's prayer. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what if we don't pray that? Will God's kingdom come? He <laughs> will come. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we pray that? We pray that for those three reasons, like I said. We, we acknowledge that this is the promise, and we say, I agree, Lord. I agree. Come. This is my desire. Come. Come. I'm expressing my full cooperation with his plans. I place myself as an instrument that God will fulfill this. Second, God is asking, uh, David is asking God to bless his work. He says, bless my house. If you look at it, we just read that. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue f- forever before you. For, Lord, you have said that. But now, with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. Again, David acknowledges this, his dependence on the Lord. And he says, he calls on me. He says, Lord, you said you're going to bless it. But I pray, use my prayer to bless this. To bless your actions. If only David knew what his house will look like. If only knew how... Evil and wicked, some of his descendants will be, and yet the Lord continued to show his grace. From once in a while, there will be a righteous king who will do the will of the God. And God blessed his house, he blessed it, and the throne remained. The kingdom withstood. Some kings were evil, some were good, but the ultimate king came and he was perfect. And David is the participant. He is the one who received the grace, and he prayed for this, and he fully participated in the work of grace of God. Take a look. I want to make a couple notes before we end. It says this here. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build your house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. You said it. You have graced me. And therefore, I have found courage to speak the way I do. He didn't come to the Lord on his own terms, out of his own will. He comes having received and promises of the Lord already. It clearly applies the same to us. We Christians are able to come to the throne, throne of grace boldly because we have the high priest. We can do so. We have Jesus Christ who is at the right hand Of the Father ready to respond. In Hebrews 4.16. Therefore let us draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. In John 14.14. Jesus says. If you ask me anything in my name. I will do it. Our prayers. Are intimate because. Of our God the Father. And his Son. And the Holy Spirit who works. In us. Another note I wanted to point out to you is that David has the glory of God in view. Confirm what you promised in verse 26, so that your name may be magnified forever. We come with humility, understanding, exalting God with thanksgiving. We glorify Him with our praise. And then we seek and come to Him with our supplication, bringing our needs still with the same purpose, to magnify his name. Do you see that? The magnitude and the glory and the, and the just greatness of God is always on David's tongue. This is ultimately what he desires. Even if he says, bless my house, Lord, so that your name will be magnified. It is truly beautiful. It is intimate. He expresses such love back to the Lord and exalts him. So as a conclusion, brothers and sisters, I hope you understand a little bit better the grace that you have received. As children of God, we live and are bathed in grace, even though our faith is small sometimes and we cannot see the grace of God. And our response to such grace should be evident in prayers. I hope and I pray that you are encouraged to express your gratitude and your needs to your Lord in prayer more often. We're called to do so continuously for everything. I encourage you to get into the Word, to come to a state of humility as you recognize the grace you have. I pray that you would respond with gratitude, with the words of thanks to adore our triune God and express through our Lord Jesus Christ much praise. I invite you to boast about your Jesus, about your personal Savior. Exalt His name. Truly, may the Lord bless us and stir us up with that. I want to, as a last word, I want to speak to those of you who may be going through trouble. Anxiety, problems in life, much unknown, difficult times. And you may say, well, Mike, it is very easy to say and speak and pray like that when David has just been bombarded with grace. He's overwhelmed. But I don't see it. I haven't been just graced like this. And I understand this may be very difficult. It's extremely difficult because we're so nearsighted. We only can see what's in front of us. I invite you, my friend, to look into the Word and look at Jesus Christ. Look at His character. Look at His love for you. Be reminded that He cares, He sees, He is compassionate, He hurts for you, with you, He loves you. Believe it. Believe it and meditate on it. Sometimes you may be so overwhelmed with your life situations that you, are, you can't even pat, look and think past one line of scripture. Well, pick that line that speaks of the goodness of Christ to you. Meditate on it. Praise Him. Thank Him. He will get you out of this. He is good. He's sufficient. He is glorious. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are blind sometimes. We can't see your grace that you have shown to us so abundantly. We cannot see that we are needy people and we have nothing of ourselves. And Lord, all that we have is because of your grace. I pray that our life, prayer life, would grow. I pray that we would be focusing more and more on your grace, that we would recognize how good you are to us. We would see your heart, we would see your nature, your character, and we would exalt you and we would praise you. Oh Lord, and as we come and we bring our knees and we seek for your help, we pray that we, you would truly we would keep your glory and your exalted name in mind. As we do so, may your name be blessed. Lord, Father, you are great. We praise you, the triune God, in the name of Jesus, amen.